On this episode of the No Picks After Dark podcast, I sat down with Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott. Mayor Scott was on a No Picks After Dark podcast in October of 2020 when he was the, city, was the president of city council for Baltimore City. He was the not Democratic nominee for the, being the mayor of Baltimore. Now, as the mayor of Baltimore, we finally got to sit down. After going back and forth about four or five months, we finally got a chance to sit down at Zeke's Coffee in Northeast Baltimore. We talk about what has he learned in the first year or so of being mayor. We discuss about Artscape and Afran will be alive again. This episode is a little bit different. We both have our mask on. We have the Baltimore City mask mandate, so it's a little bit different. But I can't wait for everybody to listen. No Picks After Dark podcast is sponsored by Open Works Baltimore. Enrollment for Maker Camp at Open Works is now open, offering half-day experiences for kids ages 8 to 12 in digital design, drones, and sewing. Maker Camp is a great way for kids to explore their creative side this summer. Sessions run July 11th to August 12th. Scholarships available. Learn more at www.openworksbmore.org backslash youth dash programs backslash. Welcome to the No Picks After Dark podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited for this episode. This episode is a year and a half of making. When we first had this episode, you know, he was the Democratic nominee for Baltimore City. And now he is the mayor of Baltimore City, Charm City. I'm so excited to have Mr. the mayor, Mr. Brandon Scott. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good. I'm glad to be back. And the last time we did this, we had to do it all virtual because we were in the wee stages of the pandemic. So we've learned a lot and went through a lot since then. I'm happy to be back. I'm so happy we're back. And, you know, but before we start, what have you learned, like, since we've talked and now you're the mayor, year and a half later, what have you learned about yourself and about Baltimore City that you did not know? I would say... It's not about learning things I didn't know, but it's about further understanding and further education, right? If you're, if you're not learning, you're dying, so to speak, right? Or you're dead in, in the way I look at it. And for me, I think what I have learned, the number one thing I really have an ex, extended uh, education about is how resilient Baltimore is, right? Because uh, when people think about all the challenges and the things that we have, before this virus showed up on our doorsteps, folks, if you ask the average person, like, okay, we're going to throw on top of a gun violence epidemic, on top of, you know, being the home of structural racism, on top of infrastructure issues, on top of all the other things we have, we're going to throw the pandemic of all pandemics. Most people say, well, Baltimore is going to break, right? Mm -hmm. But we didn't break. But we also learned a lot about, I learned about how we can be better, right? How things that I've learned, and i learned how worse things were than I thought, right? Like right. when I was with you before, I talked about having to build city government from the ground up, right? And, and really having to build the foundation, except, you know, and as I said my first day, that this is about doing the right thing and not the popular one, right? And not the, the thing that, the fancy thing. A lot of folks want you to come in and do all the fancy, glitzy, glamoury things immediately, right? But we've done that. For many, 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 many years, while the foundation of the city has been 
cracking underneath our, our, our feet, so to speak. And when you get there, like I got there, and they were still doing timesheets by hand, and people were filling out their timesheets on Excel spreadsheet, right? If DPW didn't, DPW trash and recycling crews, they were still uh, getting their routes by paper maps and not GPS, right? You have to understand how outdated city government was and why we have to do those tough things of building those systems in place so that we can serve our residents in the 21st century. And about myself, I, I learned that I can go harder than I thought I could, right? <laughs> like I could go without less sleep, but also that uh, my patience and my skin is thicker than, than I thought it was. But more, the, the most thing that I learned about myself is that I have to, uh, that I have to, take more care of myself, right? That I have to, and, and why I am so particular about it, uh, I have to be in the best physical and mental shape in order for me to be the best mayor possible, which is why I still, you know, keep up with my health regimen, keep up with my physical regimen, and make sure that I am taking the mental space that I need to take for myself as well. I love it. I love it. I love it, Mr. Mayor. So we're going to get into some questions because these are from constituents. These are people from listeners that want to know more about what you got going on. And again, we wanted to, this is the last episode of Black History Month. And I wanted to, you know, take it off a bang. Back to business, that's the name of the season. And you're, you're going to be finishing off Black History Month. And I really appreciate, again, you coming in. I know you're busy, so really respect what you got going on. All right, so first question from a constituent. How do you stay in touch with the citizens of Baltimore and their feelings about public safety in Baltimore? I get plenty of emails asking about donations. Then I do... Then I do ask about safe, how safe I feel as a citizen of Baltimore. How is the mayor determining residents' perception of public safety being measured? What outreach efforts are being conducted to gauge sentiments related to public safety and city taxpayers? And what is the crime plan for today, not from four years from now? So it's a lot of questions I asked you. Today. Yeah, it's about six questions in one, but I got you. you. Sure? I, we, we can no, you're okay, good. Okay, I okay, got okay, it. Okay. So first, I'll start off like this, right? Uh, when you think about how, how I operate and who I am, uh, we were just talking about it off camera, right? The number one way that I talk to residents about perception on safety and everything else about city government is actually physically talking to them mm -hmm. and doing it in innovative ways. As you know, I'm not hard to find. You'll find me anywhere in the city, right? So I'm sure. always communicating with folks. Of course, we do the traditional things like going to community meetings and doing all of that, doing Zooms. We've been doing town hall Zooms where we go and talk to residents. We just had a, a telephone town hall with residents from across the city uh, that we also morphed into a virtual town hall because we had Facebook and Instagram. We also had Charm TV. And on the phone alone, we had over 3,000 people, mm. right? And we were asking them about things in the city, especially, this was especially around our use of ARPA funds and talking about the $50 million we're putting into violence prevention from ARPA and how people thought and ranking and asking polling questions about that. But also, uh, Monsi, the Mayor's Office of Neighborhood Safety Engagement's mission is built around resident and community engagement. When I laid out that violence prevention plan uh, last July, the comprehensive one, the first one that Baltimore's ever had, we actually went on a road show in every single councilmatic district to talk to residents about that, educate them, get their advice, and beforehand as well, so that we knew what our residents were thinking, right? And you know that I continuously hold live updates and things like that, like the 410 report. We're going to do that, right? And, and I think it's important for me to say that, too, that that's still not enough for me. What I've tagged my team and other folks are doing, we're going to be bringing back things like 
the citizen survey, making sure that we're reaching out to folks. We're going to be looking at innovative technology about, you know, talk targeting neighborhoods and asking neighborhood people through text messages, all of those kind of things about public safety and otherwise. But the number one way, like there, I spend most of my time, right, in City Hall talking about public safety is I can see it because I can see what our residents are calling 911 and 3114. I can see what they're filing online. I can see that live in real time and it helps me to be really connected with what's going on with the residents of Baltimore City. However, what I think it's, it's also tied to uh, Monsey's public engagement, right? When we're going to incre incrementally grow the awareness of our strategies until the target for them is until 75% of the residents are aware of what Monsey and all of our public safety agencies are doing. I believe in setting targets and allowing ourselves to work towards them. That is something that has not happened in city government in a long time. We didn't have, and we'll get into the action plan later on, we didn't have targets and goals and metrics for people to be measured by and agencies, police, mm. other, but they were just operating within whatever, just doing what they normally did. That's not how you become your best self. That's not how you, how you grow. And I think it's key when we talk about what, what I want your listeners to know and, and the people watching to know and understand, right, very clearly is that uh, not you, but the traditional folks that do what you're doing here, being a media outlet, and, and one in particular, they want to target this, this, this a, approach on dealing with violence in Baltimore from, his, from every standpoint and mm -hmm. not, not laying it solely at the foot of the police department, right? Mm -hmm. As, oh, if, if you do that, you're not focused on what's happening today. It's absolutely the opposite. This is a and not a either or, right? When you think about that, you, when you think about the work that happens every day, every time, and they've done it over 100 times already this year, right? Every time Safe Streets goes out and intervenes in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a conflict that will ultimately end up in violence, that's an immediate thing, right? The police department has already taken 200 guns off the streets of Baltimore, and we're in the, the beginning of February. That's an immediate thing, right? Today, as you and I talk, our clearance rate for homicides in the city is almost at 50%. And when you think about the warrants, it's at higher than that, over 60, the, the open warrants that they had. And that's an increase over last year, where last year we increased our clearance rate for homicides by 6% and shooting by 6%. And our shooting clearance rate last year was higher than the national average. That doesn't happen for Baltimore frequently. But it's also about making sure that people understand what the other day-to-day -day things are. And then I'll get into the comprehensive violence reduction approach, right? Day-to-day, -day, we, all, we all know the basic stuff, right? The basics. Our police department is going to be out there working, but we're going to do it in a different way. We're going to do it in a way that understands that we're going to operate and, and focus, not going back to what doesn't work, right? If you want to get the same results, do what you've always done, right? And you and I both know, we know that zero tolerance, you know, Stop and frisk. All of that didn't work for Baltimore, right? People say, you, I hear from people all the time, we should just go back to doing that. Well, we had 300 homicides then too, right? We have to understand and think about the fallout that we have from that now, right? But what you can and should do has been proven in cities around the country is you don't go out and try to say everybody that looks like you and I or everyone that's outside at this location is a criminal. 
you actually do what cities who have seen sustainable reductions in violence is, and that's focused in on the very small group of people who are responsible for the violence or most likely to be the victim of that violence. So we have now started our group violence reduction strategy, right, which will start in the Western District, which drives the violence for all of Baltimore, as everyone knows, right? And we're doing that in partnership with my office, the Mayor's Office of Neighbor Safety and Engagement, the State's Attorney's Office, the Police Department, and our federal partners. And how this works is that we bring those folks in and say, listen, we know who you are. This is your last chance. We're going to have these resources for you to change your life, right? But this is the difference from the previous two times that Baltimore tried this. We're actually going to invest in those resources, right? And to do this, and folks are like, this has to be, why wasn't that an immediate thing that as soon as you, take, you took office? Well, if you're going to uh, attack a problem, you have to first know what that problem is. And it's a people thing, a people issue. You have to know who those people are. We had to pay folks to do the data analysis to see exactly who they are so that we're not doing like they did in the past and guessing and identifying those people and then finding out, you know, how old they are, all of those kind of things. And what we found out in this analysis is that people would be shocked, right? Mm -hmm. Most people, if I just ask you the question, who you think are the people, the age range people most likely to be the victim of perpetrated gun violence, what would you say? 18 and 32. So eight, most people say 18 to 25, right? Most people don't think 30-year-olds, right? right? The average victim of a homicide in 2021 in Baltimore was 31. But when mm. you think about that, mm. right, when you think about that on the service standpoint, right, we have programs and great partners like ROCA, all these other programs for 18 to 24, 25-year-olds. How many programs do you know that are dedicated to 30-year-olds out here in the city? They didn't exist. We had to build it. We had to fund it up from the ground. You, this is why in order to achieve the things that we have to achieve in the city, the foundation, the structures have to be there, and they weren't there. We're talking about a city government that is never focused on violence from every, every, every aspect. They only has put that on the burden on the police department, and it was never their responsibility to do the other things. I always say we overburden them. We have to lighten the burden on them so they can focus what our neighbors up in Northeast want them to be focused on. Not answering, oh, my kid won't go to school. This person sent me a note on Facebook. Like, no, focusing and building relationships, focusing on violence. That is the number one thing. Also, making sure that we are, again, focusing in on the people that are using the guns, bringing the guns in. We actually created, uh, through my office, uh, uh, the first of its kind tool through partnering with Every Town for Gun Safety, this firearms tracking portal, and we created a firearms intelligence unit to go after the people who are actually bringing the weapons in the city because over 60% of them come from out of state. Mm. We've never focused on gun traffickers before. We had a case last summer uh, where I, we brought down this guy who had 40, the ability to make 40 of those ghost guns in his home, mm. in addition to real guns, right? And those are the going out on the streets of Baltimore. And I'm going to tell you how serious I am about this issue. That person was a friend of mine, a teammate of mine, at Mervo, at the Rec Center in Park Heights, someone that was like a brother to me, didn't matter to me. It was the toughest press conference I had to do because I had to literally go up there and, and say that someone that I knew my whole entire life was part of this issue that is plaguing our city. 
But it was the thing that I knew I was going to do because I wanted to send that example that I don't care if it's my own brother, you will be removed. But when you do that and you see what they're doing, when you see the focus, when you see the Warrant Apprehension Task Force and the warrants that they've been clearing, despite being down two, two detectives, you know uh, that the work is happening on a day-to-day -day basis. It's about focusing in on the people and the places that we know the violence is happening and supporting those individuals. However, it's also about making sure that that's sustainable over the, over the long term. And that's where the Comprehensive Violence uh, Reduction Program comes in. Our focus to intervene and interrupt that violence is ultimately about changing the culture of this disease that has been uh, plaguing Baltimore for far too long, right? And this is about what you see in that Comprehensive Violence Reduction Strategy. And the key thing about that, because some folks in media like to say, oh, it's a five-term. The number one thing is it is group violence reduction strategy. That's an immediate thing. That happens immediately. Uh, the reentry program happens now, right? A lot of these things happen now. And there are some things that are going to have, we're going to have to grow, right? Like going from 10 violence intervention sites to 30 is a longer-term thing. But we know we need to do it because it works. You know, women lie, men lie, the numbers don't. The numbers say that those safe streets interventions work, and we have to expand that to work with our hospital partners to deal with the trauma in neighborhoods and making sure that we are uh, deploying folks to help those communities, right? Even, for example, uh, a very uh, uh, controversial thing, right? Shot spotter. Folks are like, oh, we got shot spotter. Why do we have this as a law enforcement tool? Well, I don't see it as just a law enforcement tool because 80% of our shot spotter victims and calls, there was no 911. So that means to me, that's a life-saving tool right. because people are out there bleeding. But also think about the ones where no one is shot and there's discharging. That means if we know that the next day, I can send the State Street's intervention workers into that neighborhood and say, all right, figure out what's going on, try to see what's going on. We can send trauma folks into that neighborhood because we know something's going on. We can do it in a different way so that we're getting ahead of some of these things. It's never been a wait and, wait and see approach. And you can see that in the work that they, they've been doing, bringing the, the guns in, doing all of that stuff last year, going out and taking 300 of those ghost guns off the street last year, which was up over just above 100 the year before. They're working every day. But we also have to understand and, and grow, really, our understanding of how criminal justice works, especially in Baltimore, where... Many times, the police department is like is the only agency that's a city that's controlled by me, the mayor, that deals with public safety in Baltimore. Mr. Mayor, we, oh yeah, we, go ahead, no, go. no, you, yeah, you, you dropping jewels and gems. Yeah, 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 you're good. We'll be right back, folks, after these messages. All right. The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Zeke's Coffee. Have you tried their coffee yet? I'm telling you, there's something different about it. Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself and try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, online ordering, carry out, and they also do wholesale. Visit Zeke's Coffee at 4719 Hartford Road. Open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m. Kitchen closes at 3 p.m. or visit Zeke'sCoffee.com and you too can be filled by Zeke's. The No Picks After Dark podcast is proudly partnered with Maggie's Farm. Located at 4341 Hartford Road, 
Mackey's Farm offers a unique dining experience with delicious handcrafted cocktails and mouth-watering cuisine from falafels to scallops and everyone's favorites, honey sriracha cauliflower wings. Open for dinner from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m., Tuesday through Saturday, and for brunch, Saturday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. with delectable chicken and waffles, shrimp and grits, biscuits and gravy, and more. Check out Maggie's Farm on Instagram and Facebook for daily and weekly food specials. Hey, folks, we are back. So exciting with the mayor, Brandon Scott, Baltimore City. He's been dropping jewels and gems. I mean, it's nothing but heat coming out here. So I'm just sitting here like I'm going to church right now. I mean, he was talking. I was right. I was putting down mental notes. So, again, Mr. Mayor, thank you for coming on the show again. Of course. Really anytime, man. It. Really appreciate your time. We got to um, do this twice a year. We do. We there do. We go. Twice can we a do year. That? Can we, we can do bu- that? Book it. We got we to gotta book it. You know, Jeff, we got to make this happen, bro. But um, thank you so much. So let's talk about some other things going on with Baltimore City. Let's actually, let's go right into it. The block. Let's go into the block. That's a hot subject. Now, allegedly, back in my days, I used to go to the block past midnight. Okay? Allegedly, folks. Allegedly. I used to scamper by there. are no picks at the dark, no so no one's going to have any. Good call. No picks. So, a lot of people were asking about this block situation. Um, with crime, with, with in other parts of Baltimore, and bars and restaurants. How does the crime on the block compare to your Federal Hill, your Fells Point, your Cantons? You know, you know, our similar proposals may may enact curfews in those areas as well. And people have heard maybe there's some interest as far as realtors that want to buy property over there. Give us what you think, what, how you feel about it. And yeah, what, what I will say this for me as as someone who has to deal with the entirety of the city, like I don't want violent incidents happening anywhere, right? And we know we've had them, we've had them in Federal Hill, we've had them in Fells Point, we've had them on the block, but. I will. What I will say is that the the labor intensive resources that have to go into the block consistently is an issue. Uh, but what what I think and and as I said yesterday on radio, because I'm meeting with the Senate President about the bill, I'm not going to publicly talk about the bill one way or another. I'll just talk about the issue. The issue is there, but the issue is not just there. It's other places. Now the amount of resources that the Central District has to put there nightly is a strong difference, right? But also, uh, for me, uh, knowing some of the incidents and seeing a lot of the incidents, right, we did have an incident last year where, unfortunately, uh, this gentleman was about to shoot four women in the back and then ended up getting shot by the police, and thankful he's alive, right? But what we have to do is think about how we can deal with, quote-unquote, place-based incidents writ large, and that's what I've tasked uh, the commissioner and the teams of doing that to thinking about how we can deal with those issues, whether it's there, whether it's at Penn North, whether it's at Bella and Urban, wherever it is in the city, where we know we're going to have these things, especially in in high volume entertainment areas and figuring out how we can work with businesses, work with people, work with building property owners to make sure that people who are coming to these places where there are going to be a lot of people. And one thing we know about places where there are a lot of people, the more people, the more conflict you're going to get, right? And we just have to approach it that way and make sure that we are, are doing everything that we can to keep our residents safe. I mean, I guess people, going back on it, people are going to ask, Fellas Point has a lot of violence. Remember that happened past year? They wanted you to come down. You had a previous engagement. Cantons have issues. Federal, I mean, everybody's have issues all over the city. 
I guess people are why, all over why, the country why, and over the world. <laughs> yeah, but why? But why care so much about the area where it's? Is there other numbers out there saying that we have well, if to? You, when you when if you go and look, you know there have been a lot, and you remember that there were a lot of resources in Fells Point too, right? right. So it's 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 much is is much much similar in that sense, and I think. You know, I can't speak to why someone else put in a piece of legislation without, you know, without talking to them. But I know that they're doing it because this is about, for them, public safety of people who are living or visiting or residing in that specific, in their district. And it's about safety, right? And I think that's what, at the end of the day, this is about how can we make that area safer? And I think what I want everyone to do is, remember that right that's the thing to remember how do we get everyone to the table because this might be the way that this might end up being that right that they get everyone to the table and if something comes out of how it can be safer that's all that really matters at the end of the day okay okay i just i gotta ask that question yeah you guys that's a hot topic right now um <clears throat> so i'd like to tell so another constituent i'd like to, to know why he you increased the police budget again even in short term more police are not the answer i recently read a piece by leaders of the beautiful struggle, where they noted that the police solve only 40% of homicides. I know we touched upon this a little bit earlier. We aren't dealing with incompetence or corruption and a lack of community trust. How does it feel the consent decree process is going, and what do you think we can address those issues? How can we address those issues going forward? Well, two, I'll start with the first thing. One, when you think about the, 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 quote, the increase of the police budget, what folks have to remember that this was not more positions. They, they weren't like allocated more positions or more resources or anything like that just like any other agency or just like anybody any other organization it's about they had the same current level of service through that budget than they had in the, in the previous budget right but we know inflation costs pension benefits all the things that we are obligated to pay for them like we offer every single other bargaining unit they had to get and we would, I just want to remind folks about that, that this, this is what that increase was. This is about things that we were obligated to do through a properly bargained union and other things, right? And we can't pick and choose to say, oh, well, they don't get their cost of living or they can't get this, the health care things that everybody else in the city get, but these people get. Because once you start to do that and open that worm, which legally you'll never be able to do, then you have to worry about the DPW workers who... All of that, like you have to be very careful uh, uh, about that and just reminding folks that this wasn't that BPD's budget was actually, they were growing and you can see that information. They were growing in positions and all of these things. No, uh, that, that absolutely wasn't, it was not the case. But uh, when you talk about the, the second portion of that, about how I think the consent decree is going, I think it's going really well. And actually, if you hear from the folks uh, who are overseeing it and the judge, you can see that we have made a lot of progress and that that clearance rate that you mentioned i already talked about how it went up six percent last year and how it's up even more today than where it was at this point last year that doesn't happen but homicide detectives clear cases because residents talk to them right and that happens each and every day that relationship is not where it needs to be by a long shot but is absolutely not the same relationship that it that it was before and when you look at the fact that, for example, I was in uh, D.C. two weeks ago for U.S. Conference of Mayors, right? And every time, you know, Chuck Ramsey and all these other folks and the, and, and the assistant uh, attorney general was talking about places to look on how to do reform and do it responsibly, they always pointed to us. 
And that to me is a telltale sign. They're pointing to us as an example of how we can do that. And don't judge us because the judge controls the consent decree, the, correct? The the judge and the monitor. So yeah, we let's have a judge. clarify. Yeah. I want to make sure. So so it's that. it's it's you. We enter into this agreement with in the court with the federal government, right? There's a court assigned monitor who monitors our progress, and the judge oversees that pro that that process. And that all that information, the BPD monitor, they have the website. You can look at every report. Every policy change, everything is, is, is online there. But I do want to hint into some stuff that folks uh, who, who talk about the consent decree, I don't think folks think that this stuff is in it or understand that it's in it. That's connected to my goal of reimagining public safety to beyond policing, right? You heard me talk about call reduction. In our consent decree, even though I would have already done it, right? It allows it to happen faster. It talks about taking away behavioral health, mental health calls from police and sending them to other places. That's how we were able to quickly, as fast as we were able to do through our consent decree, our CPIC process, establish our citywide 911 call diversion pilot program. Well, we're doing just that. When people are calling 911 and have a behavioral health issue, they're not getting a police officer all the time. They're getting a trained professional. And we're going to be looking at how to grow that. And that's part of what we can do. And we continue to do the training, do the technical, but one of the big things is about the technology, right? Because if you want to be able to hold police accountable, you can't have them filling out everything by hand and things like that, which uh, costs money, right? But it's about holding people accountable and having the system. So we've made a lot of progress. We're going to continue to do the consent decree and follow it as long as I'm here. And hopefully we get out of it because we've made the, the progress needed. Okay. All right. So... <clears throat> Another constituent asked, what are the mayor's thoughts on Nick Mosley's call to bring back the 1970s $1 vacant ownership program? Well, I'll say simply uh, that, you know, I support the intentions of the council president's bill, right? Because we are already working to increase uh, affordable housing opportunities in the city and to preserve legacy homeowners and try to prevent less and less vacants in the city. And I think uh, we have to be uh, we have to make sure that we be intentional about its actual impact and be careful about duplication of existing programs. And we know that I just recently had a, a 30 day uh, a look over all of the, I want them to look over all of the programs around vacants in particular. We're already going to be talking about uh, using significant amount of our ARPA money to benefit housing initiatives in the city. I want folks to hear these numbers though. There are 15,032 vacant houses in Baltimore City. 13,560 of those have private owned, right? So overwhelming majority of them are not owned by the city. But, and although approximately a third of them are already undergoing transformation, so they're being rehabbed by a private owner, part of a redevelopment plan, in a court, uh, in court under a vacant building receivership or something or some other action, being prepared to be demolished, owned by us and out for sale through vacancy value. We have to do more to address, uh, address that issue. And we have to do more to prevent more vacancies from happening by investing in homeowners. So we are considering the legislation. At the same time, we're going to be looking to expand many of the efforts that we have already that will deal with the same exact issue. Hey, I appreciate you dropping those jewels and gems because that's very important. People have questions, a lot of questions about the vacants. Um, uh, rest in peace to the firefighters out there. Um, yeah. Really, uh, again, this um, sad moment. Um, thank you for showing the leadership during that time and being out there and being in the forefront. We really appreciate that, Mr. Mayor. Um, so 
what in general are we doing to get more people into home ownership? I guess in Baltimore, so specifically long term. Yeah. Um, what are, are there any other programs out there that do you have? We do. We have a housing department has a home ownership program. We have home ownership incentive programs through you know them also through Live Baltimore. Live Baltimore, Live yes, Baltimore yeah. has that. We know that here in in Northeast is Baltimore where you and I reside. Houses do not stay on the market long and they turn over fast and at high prices. So we're very excited about that. And I want folks to know about the real estate numbers for Baltimore over the last few years, okay. we have been blowing the doors off of everyone else. And that's a great thing. But what we're going to be doing is trying to make sure that that investment is equitable, that we're seeing people of color, middle-class black families uh, coming back and buying homes into the city and partnering with groups to help that. Like last, last month, we announced a $2 million investment from J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, who's going to be investing into the community organizations and folks over in West Baltimore who are taking vacants and turning them into home ownership, like Bree Jones uh, from Parity Homes, where they're doing it in West Baltimore, mm-hmm. in the neighborhood that oversees the highway to nowhere, like the great folks at Black Woman Bill, right? And that's, that is a, a big change for Baltimore. And us, the city is also, housing department is supporting the efforts that they are doing. And then you have the work that, if I were to tell you, five or 10 years ago, mm-hmm. that there would be a home ownership the redevelopment on Harlem and Emerson Avenue where they're selling houses for over $300,000. What would you say? I would tell them you're joking. Right. But it's <laughs> happening right now 300, today. $300,000. Dean Harrison and the folks are doing that and, and their people are buying it. They look like you and I. Okay. And that's what it's about. It's about creating that momentum. It's about telling the full story of Baltimore, right? Yes, we have our issues and our problems, but these folks and others are doing so much great work that we cannot allow whoever who just, for whatever reason they want to just bash the city all day to not say, okay, the city, like every other city in the country, has problems like every other city in the country is dealing with a growing violence problem, right? But they, But we have to also say, well, look at the great things that are happening. These folks are taking vacants. J.P. Morgan Chase, that was $2 million. They invested $20 million into the city. Came here to do that, to support these organizations because the great work is happening. And we have to start to tell those stories, too. I know uh, the, the councilman, uh, you probably, uh, off, off the top of my head, Christopher? Burnett, Christopher, yes. Burnett. I took a tour with him in West Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And it was a beautiful tour. And I was so thankful. And we're going to do a series on what they're doing over there. Yeah. But I noticed that he was telling me a lot of people from D.C. Yeah have bought houses in the cliffs, or I think, I can't even name, name the area, but it's right near uh, Emerson High School, it's behind it. And it's Uplands. Also, up, yeah, up, okay, Uplands, yes. And there's a lot of D.C. people moving over there, and those are very expensive houses over there. Yeah. That right in the house. So, well, expensive by Baltimore standards, right, but right. not by D.C. standards. And, right. and sorry, uh, <laughs> Madam Mayor or Councilman White, so uh, I'm friends with the D.C. Mayor and uh, City Council member Robert White is my college classmate from St. Mary. Okay. But, if we still ever remaining black Washingtonian and bring them to Baltimore, is fine with me. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm, I'm all about it. Come on down. Come on down to Baltimore. We sell mambo sauce in the stores. Come on, y'all. <laughs> uh, so, Artscape, we've been missing it for two years. I remember as a child going to Artscape and it was like the highlight growing up. I remember just like, this is the place to be. And you saw so many beautiful people being there artists you're supporting the city 
and the cities is booming that weekend. And it's always the hottest weekend of the year. It's always the hottest. People uh-huh. are asking, what's the word on the street? Are you going to, are we bringing it back? What are we going to do? Because the scene, like the viruses, Mm, but go ahead, I'll let you speak. Yeah, well, I guess for me first, Art, Artscape was great, but Afram was my end all be all last summer. Okay, we can, and, we can talk and, about and both. We can talk the about tomato, both. tomato, tomato, I hate We can talk about both. But, uh, <laughs> but I am extremely hopeful, and the, the plan is to have them back this year. Of course, you never know what variant, maybe the Jamie Foxx variant shows up, not Omarion or Marcron <laughs> or whatever folks are calling it on the street. But we're very hopeful, and we're we're all intenses and all 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 intentions are to have our festivals return in person this summer uh and throughout the our festival season so to speak and i know that this is uh, this, uh, this is going to be me throwing us out here ciwas this episode will be out after ciwas but how excited are you for all this happening to our city it's gonna be a beautiful thing what are you looking forward to the most because i just like I said, it's gonna come out afterwards but what are you looking forward to the most, the Seattle Blades? Well, I'm a basketball player, so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the basketball. But as someone who's been to CIAA before mm-hmm. in Charlotte, this is about – see, I have a CIAA, and I think Baltimore really needs to understand this. They are the top three college basketball tournaments in the country, the ACC, the Big East, and the CIAA, right? Mm, say it that, one more time. Say it one more time. ACC, Big East, and the CIAA. The right. third largest college basketball tournament is coming to Baltimore. It's going to be here. That's a huge thing for us, right? And to have not just the basketball, but the culture that comes around along with it. Having all the alums and the folks come here showcasing uh, the best of, of black HBCU history with the best of one of America's best and blackest cities, right, is a recipe for tremendous things. They go together like Obey and Crabs, right? That's the, <laughs> that's, the, that's the reality of what we're talking about here. And the impact that it's going to have on the city financially is great but, and, and wonderful. We, we know we millions and millions of dollars of impact on the city. But the opportunities that it provides, right? Thinking about that for those young students who are going to be coming to an area that thrives in many other areas of growth, especially for younger black folks, right? This is the opportunity. And it's also, again, for us to showcase Baltimore as a national city that can host these big events, much like we're going after the FIFA World Cup and all these other things that we're trying to bring here. This is about part of how we showcase the change of Baltimore. We need to start swinging for the fences, punching above our weight class, going after things and stealing and attacking and taking it from other cities because we have that Baltimore chip on our shoulder and we know when it comes to being tough and gritty, no one's going to outwork us. I like that. I like like to hear that. So, JFX speed cameras, where's that money going to? Well, where's that money going to? So, just so everyone knows, so speed cameras are done at at the state level, okay. right? State law. So we have the ability to have them. Let me just say that the reason why we have them, I think everyone knows. They have that that right, Pepsi sign, right? With that Pepsi sign, you, you can set your clock to it. Right. If it's raining or the wind blowing the wrong way, someone's gonna flip their car over. So we know the safety at 83. I actually saw one night I was in uh, the snow room uh, early in the winter. And somebody was trying to drive backwards down 83 doing weather, right? And just made my head explode. Uh, but that's why wow. they're going to be there. People are coming through there, clocking themselves, being clocked at, you know, 70, 80 miles per hour on 83. I don't like going over 40 on that thing, but people do it. So, but the way the bill works, the improvements, the money will go back to improvements of the road to make the road safer. The state has dictated that, and that's where it'll go. Okay, that's awesome. And Harbor Place, I know we don't own it. I know 
what's going on with Harvard Place and Fourth of July fireworks? Yeah. So, I uh, am anxiously awaiting the outcome of the receivership process for 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 Harbor Place because it's, we now are ready to take it into Harbor Place 2.0, a place that is for everyone that's in the 21st century, and making sure that we have it uh, become again the beacon for us in Baltimore. But making sure that we showcase not the best of you know the the chain restaurants and things, but imagine you can go down to the Harbor Place and Zeke's has a spot there for a few right. days, right? Or I can get a Coco's Crab Cake at Harbor Place. Imagine what that would be because that's what people want to get when they come from out of town and come from the region. They want to get the best of Baltimore, not the best of what they can get at every every airport. And uh, for the fireworks, we, we, we are very hopeful, just like with everything else, and all intentions are to have uh, uh, celebrations down there for 4th of July, hopefully to coincide with us being able to lay out the new vision for a new a new inner harbor place. And folks, um, they moved Afram to Juneteenth. Ju- all right, that's what Afram I Afram is Juneteenth weekend. Okay, so if it happens, it's Juneteenth weekend. Just so everybody remembers. Speak it into existence when it happens. Okay. All right. And I guess, thank again, Zeke's Coffee. Thank you so much for having us here today. I'm so excited that the mayor came up here. He lives in Northeast. This is, again, we, I'm happy yeah, this happened. I came over up here, and now I can't go home, but that's another thing. That's a whole different, that's a whole different <laughs> thing. That's a whole different thing. He, he has his own podcast, but we're not going to talk about that one, though. We ain't going to talk about that. I'm hating right now. I'm hating. But, but again, seriously, let's do this twice a year. Twice a year. I think, book it. I think people really are receptive when they hear things like this. And the next one we do, let's do it with audience. We can let's, arrange let's do that. Audience. Let's yeah, do it with audience. Do that. That'll be because good. Because I think people just want to be a part of it and be a part of something that they feel like they're, they're near the mayor. Yeah. They want to be near you. And me being here, it's been a, a really appreciative. I want to shout out to you every time I saw you. Well, the fir- first thing I said to him, we got to do this interview. I saw him at Downtown Partnership Party. I saw him at the, da- the not party, but they had their year end. The year I end saw you thing. at uh, yeah. the Visit Baltimore thing when they had the holiday thing. I'm oh, like, that was really cool. Do it. But again, thank you so much to you and your communication teams for making it happen today. Absolutely. Is there anything you want to leave the people of Baltimore conclusion of what we got coming up the next three or four months, anything that makes them feel safer, reassuring that, hey, we're here. Because I think, I think people want to know, be reassured. They want to be reassured and they want to feel like, I want to flight. Yep. You know, some people say white flight, black flight. We want to stay in the city, but how can you make us feel comfortable knowing that, you know, we are on top? I know you talked about it earlier, but yeah, I will do it again. And I, I, just, I just want the, everyone in Baltimore to know this. There is nothing more than I spend my time in making sure that we are working to be a safer city. Uh, this is why I don't sleep. Uh, this is why I wear my agency folks out who work in, in the public safety realm, be it uh, uh, Director Jackson at Monsey, be it our police leadership, to make sure that we are being the best. And what you can, you'll be sure that you'll get from me is everything that I got, but that also you will see things coming down the pike when you're talking about and you'll say, oh, they are doing things differently. They are changing. They are moving to hold people accountable. They are pushing to do things that will make us a safer city. But I'm also going to ask you guys to join us in that fight. We all have to do this together. The only way that Baltimore is going to be the best version of herself is if that we all are involved and at the table. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to fix city government and make sure that we're doing our part each and every day. But as residents in the community, I just invite you all into that process as well. And I love you all.
how can people, is there a hotline they can get a hold of you or is there somebody there? Like, you know, cause you know, everybody probably shoot your DMS and you run your own social media account. Well, so partially. how, so how yeah. does like people, how do people reach out instead of like creeping in your DMS? Like, Hey man, what's up? Like, like well, what's, we, the, what's, we the go through those. what's the proper way? Mr. We go through those. So these days, <laughs> look, I, you, I can't, I'm not even going to tell people not to do that. Cause folks okay. are going to do it anyway. Okay. Right. <laughs> the office number is 410-396-4900. Okay. That's 410-396-4900. They can always email us, mayor at baltimorecity.gov. And then, of course, on, on the internet is all Mayor B.M. Scott. Do you all answer those questions or does we, somebody else answer? We, it depends. Okay. Sometimes it's me, sometimes it's other folks, right? If you pay attention to uh, Instagram and Twitter, you can tell when it's me and when, or when it's Jack or one of the members of the team. You know, I try to, to make sure that, that my engagement can be seen. You know, I don't have the time to be monitoring all the time, gotcha. all every day. But we try to make sure that we get folks questions answered and get them connected to services and things that and they need. And what about these masks real quick? Anything about the masks? Yeah, listen, we're quick? very hopeful with the numbers recently. Uh, we're going to be talking with the health commissioner. As always, we'll follow the guidance from them, our hospital partners at Hopkins and things like that. Uh, we are still in uh, substantial to high transmission in the city. CDC guidance as of right now still says wait until you get to moderate or low for that. And we're hopeful that we'll get to that point very soon. Uh, I'm very hopeful that we'll be able to Talk about those things and things going away in the very last thing for the young, young, young people want to know. Does the mayor have a TikTok account yet? No TikTok. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. The mayor, look, the mayor only danced after he scored a touchdown, man. That's it. <laughs> Gotta ask for the question. But again, folks, thank you guys for tuning in to the special episode, the last episode of Black History Month. But Black History is 365 days a year, folks. Understand, we are here. No Pixel Dark podcast, back to back years of being the best podcast. For Baltimore and beyond. And that's what it's all about. Getting the people on the, on the show to answer hard questions. They got, and that's why we have the mayor here today. I appreciate his team for making this happen this evening. Thank you, Zeke. Thank you to my audio tech, Ed, Paul, doing the lighting and the cameras. Really appreciate the whole team. Mr. Mayor, thank you. God thank bless. You. Peace. And we're out, folks. Baltimore Fiscal Partners is a boutique CPA firm specializing in accounting and consulting services for nonprofits, small businesses, and with experience running nonprofits and small businesses, they know that there's not always enough time at the end of the day for you to focus on your finances, whether it's monthly bookkeeping or an annual audit, tax preparation, or consulting, nonprofit or small business. Baltimore Fiscal Partners provides full range or tailored solutions that keep your goals and budget in mind. Learn more about Baltimore Fiscal Partners online at BaltimoreFiscal.com or follow them at Baltimore Fiscal on Facebook and Instagram.